So we're starting a new series this week called Thrive. So when I say the word thrive, what image or what connection do you make to that word? The word thrive. So to thrive, it means that something is full of life. So plants can thrive, communities can thrive, businesses, even churches have the potential to thrive and to be full of life. So for me, um, when I think of the word thrive, I think of babies. So if you're a mom, you might know why. Um, Otherwise, you might not. Um, Know that the term failure to thrive is kind of this dreaded diagnosis that can happen for parents, newborn parents. Um, Nobody's get afraid here, but we, um, all babies will be fine. But um, yeah, failure to thrive is this term, this diagnosis that can happen um, for newborn parents, for their infants, when their infant isn't gaining enough weight in the first couple of months of its life. And so they will call it failure to thrive. And when this happens, the pediatrician and the parents, they kind of work together, hopefully, not scaring one another, but hopefully they work together as a team to try to figure out what's going on. Is it a medical condition that they can work and treat, or is it just this child is smaller than other um, babies, and so everything is fine. And so it can be a scary time for parents, this thought of failure to thrive. It brings a lot of anxiety and concern. So one of my closest friends from college um, is a postpartum nurse. So she takes care of all of these babies after they're born. It's her whole career. Really, she is all about helping babies thrive in their new lives. And so over the last couple of years, she's gotten um, involved in this partnership, this um, organization called Ray of Hope. And what they do is they um, try to connect babies in third world countries that are struggling with failure to thrive, uh, mostly because they have cleft palates. And they connect um, those babies and those families to uh, life-saving medical treatment here in America. And so the hospital that she works at in Fort Wayne, Indiana, is one of those hospitals that uh, specializes in this. And so she heard about this little guy born in Burkina Faso, um, which is this small um, country on the west coast of Africa. And um, if you've heard anything about them right now, they're really going through a tough time um, in their, uh, their government. And so it's a tough time in general for this country. But this li- family had twins, which, um, you know, here in America is kind of exciting. It's uh, this novelty when you have twins here. But there in uh, Burkina Faso, it's kind of bad news. Because um, with limited resources, the idea of a mom trying to be able to get enough nutrients to uh, be able to take care of two babies at the same time. It's kind of a scary thing for them. So that was, you know, they had a boy and a girl, and then the little boy was born with a cleft palate. And so for us, that's a pretty common thing that can happen. We know how to treat that here in America, and it happens all over the world. But for um, where he is born, it's actually considered a bad omen, um, like a curse on not just the family, but the entire village. And so the tribal leader, whenever this happens, encourages the family to let the child die, breaking the curse for the village, if you can imagine. And so the family, they, um, they made the very difficult decision to try and get help 
for um, their baby. And so they sent him across the world to this unknown place in America, in uh, Indiana, where he's going to live for um, over a year and get all these medical procedures that he will need to fix his cleft palate so that he can live. And so my friend Flora just happens to be the home that he will stay in. Um, she's overjoyed. Um, she's all about babies. So the fact that she gets another baby, she has four kids that are growing up, and now there's this new baby in their home. But um, it's been fun to kind of watch what's happening. Um, this little guy, Sada, is his name. When he was, when they first got him, he was six weeks old, and he was five pounds. So um, babies here are usually at least six pounds, most of the time seven or eight pounds when they're born, um, six, and they gain weight pretty rapidly. So five pounds at six weeks, um, you could really see just signs of um, the struggle for life in his body. So his head was misshapen, looking um, next to his sister, completely different shape, didn't look quite right. His skin was a grayish color instead of that deep brown that his sister had. Um, he didn't have any hair, no eyelashes. The th scariest thing is he, um, he couldn't even cry. He was too weak to cry. He was really in a uh, um, scary place, and that's why his parents made such a drastic decision. But um, in the last month, they have taught him how to take a bottle that's um, made specifically for his condition. And so in um, a month, he gained three and a half pounds, which is just normal here in America. That's what babies do. They had three and a half pounds, but the change was dramatic. When you look at him, his skin is that beautiful dark color. His head is a completely different shape. He's got a double chin, some little rolls. Um, but the most exciting part is that uh, he giggles and laughs and screams when he's hungry. And just these signs of life are just blossoming every day. So it isn't just that um, he's living, he's thriving, he's beginning to thrive. And so as we begin this new teaching series this week, we're going to look at how our church, everyday church, can be a church that thrives, that's full of life, that has these signs, that things are happening, that there is life here. And just like Sada, as he got stronger and stronger, there was this physical change in his body. And that's what we want to see, these changes that are happening with, among us. And so during the next three weeks, we're going to ask ourselves some questions. What are the signs that we see in our church that shows us that we are full of life? And imagining our church family as a human body, that might seem strange, but it is actually a comparison that the Apostle Paul makes in a letter that he writes to the church in Corinth. So in the first letter, 1 Corinthians, um, he writes a letter and he wants the church to see themselves as one body. And so he makes this um, comparison, sometimes it's even humorous, this comparison that he makes, um, between the body and our many parts that work together and the church and how we are all of these different members and how we are supposed to work together. And so he says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, all of its many parts form one body. And so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. 
Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So we say it all the time. Um, My kids, we kind of said this way too much to them when they were kids, but um, we say that the church is not a building. It's not an event you go to. The church is the people. And I think if you ask most people today, what is church? They'll either say it's a building or it's a place you go to, an event you go to. But the Bible talks about the church being the people, that we are the church. We are one church made up of different people with many differences among us, and yet we have the same Holy Spirit living inside us, working together, um, that we were all given when we choose to be baptized and follow Jesus. And so in this church in Corinth, Paul is saying there's a lot of people with all of these major differences among them. Differences that I think we can't even quite comprehend. Because he mentions that they have Jews and non-Jews, Gentiles, in this church together. And for these Jews, that for their whole life, they have lived separated from non-Jews. They can't eat with them. They aren't friends with them. They tried to live their whole life around other Jews. And now that was part of their way of worshiping God. And now they're a part of this church community um, following Jesus, this whole new life, where they're not only just sitting in a room with non-Jews, but Paul is saying, no, I want you to be so interconnected, so interdependent on one another, that you're like one body. And that would have been shocking for these people that for generations, they have lived separate from one another. And now they are one. And then he also reminds them the differences in economic classes that kept them separated before. You know, you have servants and masters, and there was a very clear understanding of who served one another, right, between servants and masters. But Paul is saying here, no, you are one. You are equal and you serve one another. You are interdependent on one another. And then he gives this, like, humorous description of what that looks like. So he says in verse 15, Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, well, it wouldn't for that reason stop being part of the body. Or if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, well, it wouldn't be stop being a part of the body for that reason. And if the whole body were an eye, where would our sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would our sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would our body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And then he says, if the eye, the eye can't say to the hand, you know, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem weaker, they're indispensable. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem they're indispensable and the parts that we see that we think are less honorable, we treat those actually with special honor. And this is the part that I want us to see and reflect in ourselves. He says in verse 25, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Because now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. 
So in order for everyday church to be a church that is full of life, that is thriving, we need to be a church that's full of people who are using their gifts to serve one another. And I think there are two issues that Paul is addressing in the Corinthian church that are also issues for us today in our churches as well. And the first issue that he's addressing is this misguided value of individualism for people inside the church. The idea of making decisions and living your life based on the ethic of being an individual. So you can, and some do, choose to look at following Jesus as being um, or being a Christian or even being a part of a church. They, they look at it as being an individual and their individual relationship with Jesus. And it is true that part of the good news of the kingdom of God is that now our relationship, our individual relationship with Jesus is now reconciled. That is part of the good news. But that is not the whole good news. And so um, if we approach following Jesus so that as individuals, um, we are just looking for what we get out of it, um, there's real danger in that. And we, in our Western culture, we are profoundly shaped by individualism. I mean, I think that's really what we are founded on, our independence, right? Um, and we're also profoundly impacted by consumerism. It is the air we breathe in America, consumerism. And I think New York City, you can't walk a block without something that you, um, being sold to you, something you need to have, right? It is the air we breathe. And so there's this increasing tendency to look also at our local church family and ask ourselves the question, what do I get out of this? What do I get out of this? And so this week I read a book called Slow Church. Um, it's by authors Christopher Smith and John Pattison. It was a, a very good book. Um, and it kind of talked about the influence of fast food on our society and how it's affected so many different areas of our lives, how we eat, um, just the efficiency that everything in our society is about quick and easy, and, um, and there are some values that we miss in life when we're always um, thinking about those values of efficiency and um, easy, um, I the easy parts of life. And so they talked about how that has affected even churches in America, this um, idea of slowing down and being the church. And they said, as much as we are formed by Western individualism, and though we have allowed that to shape the way we read scripture, they said this, our calling in Christ is to community. Our calling in Christ is to community, to life shared with others in a local gathering that is an expression of Christ's body in our particular place. And that is what everyday church is. We are the body of Christ. We are a community um, that is sharing life together in this community that we live. And so it's important that we prioritize also the story of God's work in our church um, over just our own personal story when we make decisions for our lives. So if you choose to live this way, where you prioritize the story of shared life um, over just your own story, that is swimming against the tide in our society. You will not hear that 
many places where that is something that you, you should do. Um, even, I think, sometimes in the church and from Christian people. Because our society asks all the time, what's convenient for you? What's easiest for you? What's most efficient? What is best for you? And so we just constantly are asking that of ourselves. But Paul reminds us that it's no longer just about us and our individual selves and even our individual families. It can be very easy, and I want to do this all the time. Like, can I just think about my family? And Paul is reminding us, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So now we have to consider how we affect the community, this local gathering that is the body of Christ. And the other issue that Paul addresses besides individualism is this wrong idea that we see this all the time in society and in the church, that some people and their gifts are more important than others. And so Paul relates that to our bodies, reminding us how each body part is necessary to function. And so a reminder of this is little Sada and his um, mouth. You know, everything else when he was born was formed correctly, but his mouth um, was not. But it put the whole body at risk. He almost died because his mouth was not formed correctly. And um, another example is Mike, who we love and care about. He's a big guy. And yet he um, lost a toe recently in surgery. Can you imagine the small, smallest toe? And yet it, it's been a struggle for his body to figure out how to function um, after losing this part of his body. Because it's a reminder to us that every part of our bodies is important for us to function. And that's true for each one of us as well, that all of us are important and necessary for the church to be full of life, to thrive. And whenever I speak about serving one another and using our gifts, there are a couple of things that I worry that you might be hearing from me. First of all, that um, I worry that you might hear that you can't belong to this community unless you're serving and checking the boxes, right? That you kind of like have to earn your way into this community. And I want you to hear that is not true. Um, we know that we all have different strengths, different um, limitations in life. And so nobody is checking you in or out and saying, uh, okay, you, you now can belong to this community. So please hear that. Another thing I don't want you to hear is that you are earning something in your relationship with Jesus when you serve um, one another. You do not earn anything in your relationship with Jesus by serving others. We don't earn our way into this loving relationship with Jesus. It doesn't work that way. In fact, Jesus thought it was very important to make that point. Um, and so he told a story, a parable. If you remember over the summer, we talked about the many parables that Jesus told his um, friends and his followers, trying to give them this image of a different way the kingdom of God works than the way that our world works here. And so he used these stories that um, help us imagine a different way of things working. And so he tells this story about a vineyard owner who hires three different men to work on his um, vineyard in the same day. So one, he begins to work in the morning. He hires them. They, de um, they make a, a plan for what, how much he's going to get paid. They agree to that. And then he hires another person in the middle of the day and another person later in the day. And then at the end of the day, he pays them all the same amount. 
Well, you can imagine the guy who's worked the longest says, wait a minute, that's not fair. I, I, I should be paid more because I, I worked longer. And I think you can all kind of see how we all can kind of go, wait a minute, I did more. I should get more for that, right? But um, the vineyard owner, he says this. He says, I want to give the one who was hired the last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Or are you envious because I am generous? We serve a generous God who um, does not dole out his love and compassion and grace based on how much we serve. And um, it's important that we remember that. But I, I also don't want you to think that you don't get rewards and blessings from serving other people. There are so many blessings we get from that. First of all, just serving others, it helps us kind of figure out how we are uniquely made by God, and that is really important. That's something we talk about a lot here, is this idea that we are each uniquely made and that it is worth the hard work figuring ourselves out and how God uniquely made us. And one of the ways we do that is just by serving other people. We figure out our differences and our strengths, and that means that you don't have to know you're good at something before you, try, you give it a try because you will learn about yourself in the process, you will grow in your capabilities while serving others, and sometimes you'll even find out that there are things you're not good at, and that is helpful too. It's helpful to um, figure out who you are and how God uniquely made you. And uniquely um, is using your stories. I think that's really important that um, when you look at your story, some of them are, um, there are sad parts of your story, but God can use those parts too. And um, I think in serving, there's such a blessing when we see that God is even redeeming the hard parts of our lives to serve other people. Serving also helps us to be more like Jesus because that is core to who Jesus was. He was a leader who served. He was a servant. There's this beautiful story in the Gospels about Jesus when he's gathered um, with his closest friends, his 12 um, closest friends, they're gathered together to share uh, the Passover meal, and it's right before Jesus um, is killed. He knows that he's going to die on the cross, and he gathers together with his friends, and it would have been customary at that time to provide um, a servant to wash your, your guest's feet when they come in. They're dirty, and um, that was just the way to welcome your guests, and I was thinking about I don't think I can think of a comparison today of something that we just do to serve our guests, maybe give them water, but it doesn't really give the same kind of like um, tangible like um, gift. But Jesus, he didn't choose a servant. Instead, he gets up, he takes off his outer garments, he ties a towel around his waist, he gets down and he serves and washes his disciples' feet. And I just think that that image is so important for us, this idea that Jesus got himself dirty and wet, uncomfortable. Even his posture was beneath those that were um, his people who were following him. And that's just such an important image for us. And you can see that his friends were like, what is happening here? You know, we've followed you for three years. We know that you are the son of God and you can do miracles. Why are you on your, your knees washing my feet? 
But Jesus is making a very important um, example of who he is and what it means to be a leader, what it means to, um, to be a part of the kingdom of God, and it means to be a servant. And so when we, see, when we serve for the sheer joy of loving and serving one another, it really helps us to become more like Jesus. And I think about um, just our setup and teardown team. Um, many of them have served on this team for years. And um, I've talked to them before about why they enjoy being on this team. And for some of them, they just like being behind the scenes, that nobody's like watching them do what they do. Um, and for others, they just love the team. Um, and probably it's a combination of those things. They love um, just being together with the team, praying together, um, appreciating one another. Um, but I also have heard people talk about there's something spiritual in using physical labor to serve other people. And I think that is what we see in Jesus when he's on his knees washing his, his friend's feet. That there's something um, when you, you're getting sweaty and uncomfortable and um, using that physical, your physical strength to serve another person that, um, that makes us closer to God when we do that. Um, I, I talked to a guy who um, told me that for 15 years he set up the chairs in his church with his dad, 15 years every week. Um, he started out as a kid. And he talked about how that was like really foundational to how um, he became a follower of Jesus. And for me, when I um, think of just uh, examples growing up for me was um, watching my dad serve, but what I remember, and he served in the church in lots of ways. He was um, a, a leader who made a lot of decisions in the church. He spoke in front. He was a teacher. He taught kids. But what I think of is that he always parked the farthest away from um, the building every week so that everybody else would have a shorter walk to the church building in the morning. And just for him, it was just an easy way. Nobody else saw that he was doing it except us. Um, we, we had this terrible van, Toyota van, um, so they probably knew that that's Tim Gerber's uh, van that's parked there. But, um, it, you know, uh, not everybody knew that. But it was just for him, this easy way for him to serve other people in his church. I think another benefit of serving one another is just the friendships we build with one another, the connections that are formed. When we work side by side, there's just these bonds that are inevitably formed. And I think that that was God's plan. You know, when you see that in his followers, that he calls them to follow him, but they're all together. They're living and sharing life together. So they form those bonds together. So for you guys, you might want to consider um, where, what part of the team could you be a part of to, to form some bonds that um, would benefit you. Uh, not only do we need your gifts, but I think you need other people in your life as well. And, and that's an easy way to form those bonds. I think also when we serve, it fights against this message in our society that we should consume and that we should think about ourselves. I think this is especially true in New York City, this like idea that you need to fight for yourself and that nobody else is going to take care of you, right? There's so many of us, and we're just kind of like got to fight for our, our spot, 
in the city. And so I think serving regularly, it kind of reorients us to Jesus and his kingdom instead of the messages we get in society. I was talking to some, one of our volunteers in our church, and he mentioned, this was funny to me, he mentioned that he liked to serve in a spot where um, if he didn't show up, everybody would notice. Not because um, he, he wanted to be the center of attention, but just that he wanted to be that interdependent on one another. So, like, he knew that um, he didn't have the ability to just say, you know what, I don't want to go today. Because he knew that his spot um, wouldn't be filled and that we needed him to show up. He called it being a, a single point of failure. Uh, and uh, I thought that was an interesting way to look at it. Um, but I think all of us, um, that, that really does reorient us to consider life that way. Like, I want something where I know that people need me and so that other people are there for me as well. I want to live that way in my life. And Jesus knows this. He knows that serving is good for our souls. Studies have now shown, research has now shown that volunteering is so good for us that it helps our mind and body. It can ease our symptoms of stress and depression. By tapping into our gifts and our passion, it builds our self-confidence, gives us energy and strength. So serving others also can just be a healthy distraction from the worries we have. So, you know, sometimes we distract, try to distract ourselves from um, our worries in some unhealthy ways. Um, and I have seen this in my own life that serving is, can be a healthy distraction for things. And I can find anything to worry about at any given moment of the day. So um, I need this. Um, so we want to be a church that is full of life. And we believe that one of the foundations for a church that thrives is that we all see ourselves as this necessary part of the body of Christ that we are all needed, each one of us, that you know that you are needed, your gifts, your personality, your unique story, and the way you can serve. We, we need you. And there are lots of ways that you can look around and see how we are serving one another from um, the people who set up in the morning, people who um, do the audio and the slides and the um, worship team that show up and practice um, to lead us in worship. Somebody wipes down these, uh, these benches every week so that we kind of can forget that these are used as cafeteria tables by young children um, during the week. So somebody does that every week. Uh, Shara brings coffee for us each week. Iris is translating every single week for our Spanish speakers. Yes, she <laughs> hates us giving her this, but we, she deserves it. Um, you know, people show up early every week just so that they are here to welcome uh, people who come and especially visitors. Um, there are people who don't serve during uh, on Sundays, but they're always um, mindful and praying for people in our community, and they're reaching out and um, texting and encouraging one another. We have people who lead Bible studies and teach classes, and the lists go on and on. And so for all of us, we can kind of ask that question, how, how can I serve? I promise you that you will both be blessed and will bless others. So in the Bible, in both the Old and New Testament, Scripture often talks about what it means for us to be full of life, and they talk about bearing fruit. 
So that you see this in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, that um, when, our, when our lives are um, full of Jesus, that we bear fruit in our lives. And what that means is change happens, right? Just like in Sada's um, life, you see change happening, that he, life is coming. And so um, there's a change that's involved. And that is true. When we bear fruit in our lives, change happens not only for us personally, but it change happens in our families and in our community. And this for others, but also the community that we live in. And that is what we are all about. We want lives to be changed. In Psalm chapter 1, it gives us this visual description of what it means to bear fruit or to be alive. And so um, that's why our, our um, picture of thrive is this tree, because in Psalm 1 it says, A tree planted by streams of water, it yields fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. So it's this image for us of what it means to be full of life, of thriving. It's this tree that's getting its nutrients and its water from the soil. And, and what that means is it's giving life with fruit on its branches. And the, the leaves are even showing life and how healthy and strong they are. And so I want that to kind of be the image that we look at our church as, that we're this um, tree that bears fruit season after season. So I recently read a little, nat uh, heard about a little nature book that was written in 1960, um, even before I was born. Uh, it's called The Apple Tree Community, and it was written by George Smith. And I love the story because it's about this farmer who um, owns this beautiful farm, and on his farm is this big, ancient apple tree. And he talks about all of what he calls the um, community of creatures that live around this apple tree. And so he says this, this woodsman shows up um, on his farm, and he looks at the tree, and he says, you know, I can chop that down for you, and then you can burn all the pieces of the tree in your fireplace. And then you can just plant a new tree, one that maybe will grow a little bit straighter for you. And it says that the farmer, he politely declines because he says that the um, woodsman doesn't see the full picture that he sees of that apple tree and what it offers for this community. He says the apple tree is also a honey factory. It's a bird's hotel. It's a summer cafeteria. It's a winter pantry. It's a concert stage. It's an egg hatchery. It's a nursery. It's a shelter, a floral exhibit. It is the center of a patch of green earth where there are daisies and buttercups and goldenrods all around it. And when I heard that story, um, I immediately thought about our church and thought that um, someone could look at our community here and they could kind of judge it as the woodsman kind of judged the worth of the apple tree. And um, I think this story is a reminder to us that our church is like that tree. It provides so much more. It provides friendship and family and counseling. It provides learning and spiritual guidance, mentoring in our community. It provides physical needs for people in times of crisis. It should be a place where we are both challenged to re-examine each of our worldviews, but also it should be a place of acceptance. 
It's a place where we are invited to worship, not just by ourselves, but together as a family. It's a place where we know that um, if we need one, we can receive a hug. If we um, come on Sunday, you will get a hug if you want one. Um, there are me- multiple people. Uh, at least Kim and Larry will give you a hug. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a place also, though, where it's okay to not be okay. And we need places like that. This is also, um, we are people who are prayer partners for each other for life. The list could go on and on of what we are and, um, and what we offer one another, but what we offer more people in this community. And so Everyday Church, we will continue to bear fruit and to change our lives and others, just like that apple tree, when we're, all of us are rooted in this community year after year. And it will take our sacrifice and our dedication and our commitment for us to work together so that we can be that family that opens our arms and say, you belong here. So let's pray.